Welcome, everyone, to the Long John Podcast. It's your host, Joseph Camperman, coming at you today with a really, really special episode. I am excited to get today kicked off. Again, um, you can find this show. It's right now streaming live on YouTube and Twitter, but you can find this show tomorrow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, I weekly, I drop my podcast every week at um, sometime in the evening on Tuesday. Typically, I try to drop them at five o'clock. And um, and yeah, the title of this episode is called A Sports Flashback. And I'm going to be diving into everything, anything, everything and anything from when I became an Eagles fan to the greatest sports moment that I've received as a fan. Um, so without further ado, let's get right into it, starting off with my favorite topic of the day and topic number one, and that is how I became an Eagles fan. So as I stated, um, I've been an Eagles fan my whole life. Uh, I, unlike a few other sports that I'll get to later, um, I actually really didn't grow up watching a whole ton of football until I was about the age of 11 years old. So my introduction to football, you know, I grew up watching a lot of soccer, but my introduction to football, American football, was at the age of 11, it was a Thanksgiving week game. The Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles played the Chicago Bears. Now, mind you, this was in 2009, so the Bears were two years removed, technically um, two seasons removed from uh, – from their Super Bowl loss to the Indianapolis Colts. And um, I had a choice really at that point. It was really quite funny because the stars sort of aligned in a way. Um, I pulled for the underdog at the time and the Eagles ended up winning that game 24 to 20. But I want to say for whatever reason, I thought they were losing, um, which I'm sure they were at the time. I've not gone that far into the depth of why I became an Eagles fan, but I just remember there being a lot of um, penalties that game. Um, which I feel like is any time those two teams play. And um, and that is the first football game I remember watching. Um, I'm sure I watched games earlier on in my life, but that's the first one I remember watching from start to finish and really enjoying. And at that time, I was watching it with someone who was from up north, and I honestly don't actually know who their favorite team was, but they sort of like, well, who are you going to pull from here on out? And I was like, the Philadelphia Eagles. So... That is how I became an Eagles fan, and shortly after that, I learned about the Michael Vick redemption story, and I'm not going to go into too much details, but as you guys know, he's actually one of the few football players who has served jail time in the last 20 years, and his redemption story was, you know, he drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in the early 2000s. He was the number one overall pick. All the pressure on him was, all the pressure was on him to light up the league. He did that, in fact. He lit up the league so much that I think a lot of that pride got to him. He grew up in a not great neighborhood around not great people. And he admits that in his autobiography, which I would encourage you guys to read. Um, it's a really cool story. Anyways, long story short, he ends up going to jail because he's fighting dogs amongst a few other um, issues. And But he has this redemption arc where he gets replaced by the Atlanta Falcons' Matt Ryan. And it's considered a sort of slap in the face. You know, this is a once a guy who was at the top as at cloud nine, he was at the top of it all. And, um, and he lost it all in the blink of eye because of pride, because of poor choices, because of poor decisions to be on, uh, um, in poor people he hung around. And then he gets this opportunity to come into a situation with the Philadelphia Eagles where they have their starter. 
Donovan McNabb was not going anywhere when they picked him up. But Andy Reid, and I'm going to get to this later as well, Andy Reid has always had a heart for people who to give them a second chance. And so Andy Reid brought him in, and the idea was you're going to back up Donovan McNabb. And slowly but surely, he ended up winning. He ended up taking over the starting role. McNabb gets traded to the, the then Washington Redskins, but now Washington Commanders. And the rest is history. Michael Vick enjoyed a, a couple of really good years with the Eagles. Um, I know he didn't really achieve a whole lot in as far as getting to playoffs, but the stats were off the charts. And so, yeah, I, I fell in love with the Eagles. It was interesting because, you know, I uh, I remember watching the Monday night football game versus the Washington Redskins where McNabb, I mean, where, uh, where it was the first game where McNabb played the Eagles after leaving them. And I just remember him, Vic, lighting it up. And it was just, it was such a wonderful time to be a fan. Um, and yeah, that was, that was the beginning of a very tumultuous, rewarding, and exciting time to be an Eagles fan. I feel like we're really in the midst of some of the most exciting five or six years. I know we won the Super Bowl um, back in 2018, but, um, but it really, in my opinion, has only gone upwards. There's been some um, moments of adversity, but I've, I've really enjoyed my time being a fan. So that's a great way segueing into my next topic, which is my greatest moment as a sports fan. So topic number two, greatest moment as a sports fan. So of course I could talk about the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl run. I remember sitting there when Carson Wentz got hurt against the Los Angeles Rams. And I thought, you know what? The season's over. Um, we were on a tear. There were very few people in the league that could stop us. Um, the only team that was sort of had come close was the Kansas City Chiefs, and that was such a such a fluke game. I feel like it could have gone either way. Uh, I know Jake Elliott missed a kick in that game, and that was sort of vital. But you know, I can't complain too much about him that season because he also scored a epic sixty-two yard field goal against the Giants early on in the season. So, with that being said, I could go into the Super Bowl run. I remember sitting there. I I didn't actually get to watch the game with along with my fellow brother. He was in Colorado. So I was sort of one of the only Eagles fans in my family that was what I was basically watching those playoff games alone with my wife and with um, a couple of other friends who weren't as invested in football. And so um, I remember sitting in a Buffalo Wild Wings watching the Atlanta Falcons Eagles playoff game. And I just remember getting into it with another Falcons fan who was sitting there. And um, and then I watched the championship game in Ruby Tuesday um, uh, in Applebee's. And I, I probably should have gotten kicked out of the Applebee's. It was quite a, quite a funny time. That, that probably is my number two moment, the championship game, because coming into that game, there were still, I mean, the Eagles were underdogs that entire, and understandably so. I mean, now we look back on it and we say, well, you're crazy. But in the moment, I mean, as a fan, yeah, I knew Nick Foles was capable of playing good football, but it's one thing to play good football. It's another thing to win a Super Bowl. And I, you know, I mean, Nick Foles' book is also really, really interesting. And you got to check that out as well. Um, it was one of those situations where I was like, you know what? Um, we don't really have a huge chance. The Vikings had an exceptional defense, which we dropped 38 points on in the championship game. Um, but yeah, something was just different that year. And, and, uh, I got a little bit of a feeling of that I had in 2018 this past year when we lost in the Super Bowl. Things just didn't align, but we very well could have won that game. It wasn't like it was a blowout. And, uh, but yeah, so that's really, that was some of my greatest moments, but the highlight of my moment has got to be the Miracle at the Meadowlands number two. Now, I will 
flashback and say, when we won the Super Bowl, I cried like a baby. I mean, I felt like I felt like I was on cloud nine for many weeks. I I remember wearing my jersey to college and getting absolutely clowned because I wore my jersey during the four and twelve days where we the last year of Andy Reid. And of course I always wore my jersey, but that was the one year that I remember getting really clowned on was like, haha, you know, uh, you guys suck because quite frankly, we really did you know, and so um, it was it was a it was a sweet moment. I got to wear my jersey to um, class the next day, and that was I almost took that day off, but but that was truly beautiful. Um, and then of course a lot of people ask me, oh, "Are you a bandwagoner?" It's like you got to be kidding me. I literally wore this for the last couple of years on campus. So with that being said, my greatest moment was December nineteenth, two thousand and ten, with over eight minutes left to play in the game. The Eagles were down by twenty one points against the New York Giants. This would have been a this was a deciding game in their trip to the playoffs, which they eventually lost to the now reigning Super Bowl champions, the Green Bay Packers. But in 2010, um, Michael Vick was their quarterback, quarterback, and we were down 21 points. And I remember leaving and saying, "You know what? We're not coming back from this game." And I actually had to go and do some sort of chores. I can't remember what it was, and I was like, "You know what?" I've given up, you know, I, I, at this point, I'm so invested as a fan. I probably would have stayed. Um, but, uh, but you know, I had other stuff that was calling me. And so I gave up, I, you know, as a 12 year old, I was like, you know what, we're not coming back from this. And I came back and I looked at my computer and I was like, Oh my word, how the heck did we win this game? And they didn't go into overtime. And then I actually watched the full game from start to finish. I've probably watched it four or five times. And I just remember looking to myself and going, like this was such a good memory and I didn't even watch it live on TV. Um, and so, um, you know, Deshaun Jackson, I just found out today, I didn't realize this, but Deshaun Jackson then became the first player in NFL history to win a game by scoring a punt return as time expired. So that was really interesting. I didn't, I, you know, I thought that that would have been something that would have happened prior, but uh, I, you know, it's very interesting. So that was a really monumental game for me as a fan. I remember Newt losing the next week to the Minnesota Vikings and being really disappointed. But how can you not be disappointed after such a good game the day before? I mean, the week before. And so, yeah, that was probably, that was some of my greatest moment as a sports fan. Um, and moving on to topic number three, and it sort of ties into this whole topic that I've been building on, which is can the Eagles culture keep players out of trouble? And, this is a really, really interesting conversation that surfaced in the last two weeks after the draft because of the Eagles draft player, Jalen Carter, who I've, I've talked about on the show multiple times. I've done analysis of him. He is probably the best defensive player coming out of college this year, maybe even arguably since like Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett and such. Um, you know, I mean, I, and Nick Bosa, sorry, I meant to say Nick Bosa as well. Um, but yeah, he's one of the better players coming out of college and but he had this incident where he basically lied to the cop that he wasn't racing with a friend who was under the influence. He was not. And the friend and the f- driver were also under the influence and they crashed and died. And so it was this instance where like, well, he wasn't truthful. Does this come into play? And a lot of reports then ra- then then arose saying he had character issues, which I thought was pretty funny because a couple weeks prior when we all knew about this um, these impending legal issues a couple weeks prior, there was a report that came out saying, no, he actually like paid for his, what his like fellow classmates meals, I believe, um, because he 
you know, I, you know, they were probably walk-ons and maybe were, you know, couldn't afford it. I don't know. But so there were, there's these conflicting reports on like, is Jalen Carter a bad individual? And I don't think he is. I think the culture has changed, hasn't changed much from like a family atmosphere from the Peterson to the Sirianni era. <coughs> so if you guys are familiar back in the day with Andy Reid as our coach, um, the culture was very much second chance, as I alluded to when I talked about Michael Vick. Second chance, if you prove yourself and you're a good person, I will give you a chance to compete on this roster. Whereas some teams, they just ride a player off and they'll cut them. And I understand, you know, both trains of thought are understandable because you don't want the negative PR. But the Eagles were really this team that, you know, it was funny because we really weren't in the news for a bunch of like criminals um, as like cr criminal findings of play with players on like a few other teams. Hint, hint, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I got to throw that in there. But with that being said, you know, I, there was this culture that was like, look, you may have screwed up, but you can redeem yourself if you stay out of trouble, you show up, you put in the work. And, you know, and I like that idea. I like that idea to give people a second chance. Now, obviously, grace does run dry eventually in the sports, and it should because players have to learn that they can't just keep fooling around. But I don't think the culture has changed a whole lot. In fact, if anything, it may have improved from the Peterson to Sirianni era. But during the Reed year, as I stated, he had a real heart for giving players a second chance. And this was part because Reed has gone through an absolute crazy time experiencing his own family problems where his son took his life, unfortunately. His brother has ended up in jail. His other son ended up um, getting in a um, driving under the influence right after the Super Bowl win. Um, actually, no, it may have actually been the Super Bowl loss versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but either way, you know, he's had, Reed has had a real, a real heck of a time with his family members. And, and so that was this whole like idea. Like, I think it was his way of like, you know, giving back, like, you know what, I can't change some of the circumstances surrounding my family, but I'm going to try to give people a second chance. And so all of this changed and all of this was brought down when Chip Kelly, the coach out of Oregon was hired by the Philadelphia Eagles prior to the Peterson hiring. And he, he essentially ruled with an iron fist. It was his way or the highway. It was, you're going to go to bed at 8 o'clock. You're going to drink healthy things. And none of these were necessarily bad, but you're dealing with grown adults. Some adults that don't want to change their schedules. And some adults that have need to have time to be with their family. And Chip Kelly was very much like, he was used to dealing with a group of college kids who probably went out on the weekends and drunk. And he was like, you know what? A keto goods team is not being a fool. Well, when you get to the NFL, your margin for error is much slimmer because the chances of you actually making a roster, let alone being a starter, is slim. So a lot of players, they may have their offseason of having fun, but they're not going to squander their entire, most players, I will say, are not going to squander their entire career over by just being a fool on Saturday nights before the game. So... But Chip Kelly ruled with a way that was like, I'm not giving any grace to anybody. And it was really tough as a fan. I'm like, you know, there was no player came out and publicly supported him when he was on the hot seat, which shows you how unpopular he was in the um, in the room. Because even when Doug Peterson was on the hot seat with the Eagles and eventually got fired, there was players that stood up for him and said, look, Peterson's a good guy. but And he was a good guy. I have no, I have no harms hard feelings towards Peterson. He brought us our first ever Super Bowl, first and only Super Bowl. And, uh, and so, yeah, no hard feelings for the guy, but when Peterson and eventually Sirianni was hired, the culture started to revert, like I said, back to the Reed days. Um, and now the Eagles have Hertz, Jalen Hurts, 
Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Travis, um, Jason Kelsey, um, Jordan Davis, who is actually teammates with Jalen Carter, among others to keep Carter. And I don't even want to say in line because he's a grown adult. He's going to have to make good choices. Ultimately, his choices are going to be what dictates whether he has a successful career or not. But that locker room is going to hold him accountable. And if he starts going and doing things that are not appropriate, I think there's players in that locker room that would say, look, listen, dude, we love you as a teammate, but we're not going to tolerate your foolish behavior. And so, and this is for any teammate. And I think there's tight enough of a locker room. They all have one goal and that's to win a Super Bowl. And I think Jalen Carter is very much focused on that. I think Jalen Carter could have slipped a lot past pick 10. So I think there hopefully is a, is a point of humbleness with him, but also a chip on his shoulder to say, look, I could have been picked third overall or fifth or sixth, but I dropped like a better part of seven picks because people didn't want to deal with my off the field issues. I'm going to make people pay. And I hope that's what he channels it to do. And, uh, and I, that would be my hope. And I, I really think the Eagles culture is able to keep him on the right path. And hopefully his choices will increase his chances of being a really successful player in the NFL. So moving on to topic number four, um, Favorite NBA team growing up. So this is going to surprise you guys all. So as most of you know, that anybody who follows me knows, I'm in all things Philadelphia, all things Pennsylvania. So I pull for Penn, Penn State in college football. I pull for Villanova in college basketball. I pull for the Phillies in baseball. I pull for the Flyers in hockey. Now, I don't watch all of these sports all the time because I'm just busy, but these are guys, the, guys, the teams I pull for. But I did not really start watching the NBA until later on after watching football, just because it was not really my first love. Um, hey, um, I have got a new person in the chat, Amin the Dream. He puts Lakers on the screen. You know what? I actually would love to have a little discussion here while you're here. I'm going to get off the topic here and maybe go ahead in my, um, in my uh, conversation here. I really think that the Los Angeles Lakers could very well represent the West. Now, I don't like the Lakers. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of LeBron James. I think the hate he gets is really unnecessary. And I really, I sort of, I wasn't pulling for the Lakers in the bubble, but when they won the championship, it was all for Kobe that year. I just, it was a beautiful thing. And I, you know, I obviously would have liked my 76ers to win the, um, the championship but that didn't happen, and so I was not no hard feelings towards the Lakers. I personally don't have a lot of quarrels with them. And um, but with that being said, I'm gonna talk a little bit later on in the show. But I really think the Lakers have a legit chance to represent the West, and the reason why is because somehow the Denver Nuggets lost after Nikola Jokic scored 53 points, and I'm not really sure, quite sure. I think the Phoenix Suns are really quite what they're made, what people think they are, and then the Warriors somehow just got absolutely clapped by the Lakers. So now I'm like, you know what? This could be a very, very interesting series. And there's actually some games going on, I believe, as we speak. Um, I'm looking at them right now. Actually, no, no, I take that back. There's there's two games tomorrow. Um, and so, no, 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 wait, wait, hold on a second. Nope, there are games. They're right now, the Heat are beating the Knicks. And anyways, thanks, Amin, for tuning in. Uh, yep, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. I'm going to get back to topic number four, favorite NBA team growing up. So, um, he comments here, it'll definitely be an interesting series. Yeah, I think it already has been. I really think the Warriors could pull and tie up the series here. 
Um, but it remains to be seen. If the Lakers go up 3-1, beware. Because 3-1 and they'll be going back home, I don't like my chances if I'm the Warriors trying to win three straight games. But we've seen them do it before. So if anybody can do it, it's that team. Because that team still has like three of five starters that were part of the 3-1 comeback run. So anyways, with that being said, um, growing up, I did not start watching NBA till later on. My first initial um, game that I remember watching, and of course, I sort of was a bandwagoner, but my first NBA game that I remember watching was game six of the NBA Finals where Ray Allen hit the legendary shot over Tony Parker to send the game to a seven-game series where the Heat would eventually win the San Antonio Spurs in the 2013 Finals. So I didn't really start watching basketball until like four years after watching football. Um, it really wasn't my my first love. It still isn't. Um, I still like football over it, but I keep up with basketball a lot more. But I was a Heat fan for a couple of years, um, primarily because I really like Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade has always been one of my favorite basketball players. I just love the way he played and the way he conducted himself on and off the court. Um, so because of that, I was sort of de facto Heat fan. But it also sort of had to play into the fact because they won the finals and I enjoyed cheering for a team that won. But when I sort of made the commitment to be everything Pennsylvania, I became a 76ers fan in 2015 when we drafted Jaheel Okafor. So, of course, um, that was sort of a um, a legendary time as a team because we sort of sucked. Um, and... Of course, Joel Embiid was not drafted until 2014, so he was drafted the year after, which started the process. But of course, Gio Okafor ended up not really play, panning out for the Sixers, um, and I didn't really follow NBA basketball really closely until 2017, probably. Um, and then, of course, I've been to numerous games now, and I really, if I could say this to anyone, it would be try to watch a game in person. It'll change your life, and it'll give you a whole new experience appreciation for basketball as a sport. The players are just, they, they make me feel like a midget because I was on the court and I got to be on the court while Joel Embiid was shooting shots at a scrimmage game in Wake Forest University versus the Charlotte Hornets. And I got to stand like maybe 10 feet away from him. And I, I came up legit to the dude's waist. Like I felt so small in that moment. I'm like, this dude is a freak of nature. And so I, I just really would encourage anyone, if you can get as close to the court as possible, I highly recommend it. Even if it's on a preseason game and you only get to see a couple of minutes of the starters, highly, highly recommend it. But moving on, changing subjects just a little bit to topic number five, the NFL draft review. So, of course, I talked about this last week. Um, I'm going to go through it just real briefly again. In rounds one, the Eagles selected Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith out of Georgia. They selected Steen offensive lineman out of Alabama and Sidney Brown uh, safety out of Illinois. And in round four, they traded up, which was a big trade to get yet another Georgia player Ringo. Um, in round six, they traded Tanner McKee. They, they got Tanner McKee quarterback for Stanford. And then in round seven, they got Moro Jobo um, defensive lineman out of 10 out of Texas and, of course, part of this draft day was the trade for DeAndre Swift, which was a great trade. I don't regret it. I think it was absolutely excellent. And the more I review these players that were picked, 
realistically, six of these seven players could potentially contribute this year. Not all of them as starters, but <coughs> um, I could see Kali Ringo transitioning to safety. I have a second round second round draft grade on him, um, and he went in the fourth. So I had like a mid to late second round, the more the closer we got to the draft. He went in a solid round and a half later than I thought he would have gone, which I thought was a steal. Steen is going to push Cam Jurgens out of uh, that we drafted last year for the left guard role. Now that um, uh, Isaac Samuelo left to play for the Steelers, so I really thought from a draft perspective this was an excellent draft. I'm not going to focus too much on this um, draft, but um, on this um, conversation. But I really think from a draft standpoint, the Eagles could really see pretty much every single player besides Tanner McKee. And he may even beat out Marcus Mariota. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not huge on Tanner McKee, but I, I had no problem picking a quarterback in the sixth round. And who knows, maybe he becomes a really good backup for the Eagles. Um, he doesn't really fit our system. Like Mariota and Hurts play somewhat the same. I didn't think Matt McKee played that like similar, but you know that's not necessarily a bad problem. So moving on to topic number six, NBA playoffs update. So I'm going to go actually focus on the West first. Typically, I start with the East, but there's a reason behind my madness. And so the Nuggets versus the Suns. So as I stated earlier on in the show, how in the world did Nikola Jokic, center for the Denver Nuggets, score 53 points and they still lose? Well, in part because Kevin Durant and Devin Booker combined for 72 points. And as if any of you guys who follow sports know, um, actually, I'm going to go back on this because me and the dream just put this on the screen. And he said, what a turnaround from Howie from drafting J.J. Arthago Whiteside, Jalen Rager to A.J. Brown and all of the Georgia Bulldogs and some of the moves he's made in general. Howie's been phenomenal as of late. He comments the next part on the screen as of late. I couldn't agree more with this um, topic. Um, I, my wife, I must be a little slow, so I got these comments a little later. But Howie Roseman has really redeemed himself. He has had, since the Jalen Rager pick, which made people furious, he has got A.J. Brown, DeAndre Swift, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Nolan Smith. Um, that's just uh, Nicobe Dean, Cam Jurgens, uh, Landon Dickerson. Um, I, I can't even begin to tell you how good of a draft Howie Roseman has done after be being sort of made fun of. Um, but going back, I know I'm hopping back and forth, but I'm trying to interact as much as I can with people in the comments. Um, going back to the NBA playoffs update. So, as anybody who's watched the NBA has seen, the Phoenix Suns made what I felt like wasn't a desperation move, was was a move saying, look, we have an opportunity to represent the Western Conference again. Let's go out and get a guy like Kevin Durant and see what we can do. And this was, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have a whole lot of respect for Durant. I feel like when things start to implode, he's just like, I want out because I'm too great to watch this happen. And I I really question his buy-in with programs because if the Phoenix Suns lose, is he going to do the same thing he did with the Brooklyn Nets? Like, because the only reason why he left the Warriors was because he had an opportunity to form like a new big three with James Harden and Kyrie Irving, which ultimately got blown up. I just, I don't have a whole lot of respect for Kevin Durant. That may be an unpopular opinion, but I really don't like him. And so I... What I will say is that 
I really could see the Nuggets going to game seven, unfortunately, with this. But I, you know, I've talked about this. I have the Nuggets winning. I just can't see the Phoenix Suns putting up enough points if Jokic has another big game like this to win the game. Because 53 points is absolutely insane for a player, for any player for that matter, let alone a center, which their whole offense does feed through him. So I'm not going to start puffing him up too much, but he's an excellent player. And one thing I will say is that ultimately what it comes down to is if the Nuggets do progress, they're playing either the Lakers or the Warriors. And I feel like both of those teams have shooters like the Sun. So does if they do progress, does this make them the favorite to represent the West? And I would say they're definitely top two, which is oxymoron because there will only be two if they progress. But but yeah, no, that's that's really where I stand on that. So moving on to the Lakers versus the Warriors. The real question is, do the Lakers have a chance to represent the West after manhandling the Warriors in Game 3, where they absolutely destroyed them? And one thing to keep in mind, the Lakers had a higher seeding than the Warriors. No, no, hold on a second. I'm going to look up this right now because I want to make sure I give give you guys the most accurate information possible so I'm not giving you false information. But what I will say is that the way that the NBA has shaped up this year the western conference really didn't look as strong so the warriors ended up finishing above the lakers so the 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 ironic part about this is the lakers were able to win at home versus in the warriors stadium to tie the series 1-1 and then they come back home and it's 2-1 and then they could they tie this up and make it 3-1 and then you're going back to the warriors stadium and you're potentially pushing like winning the series and or if not and it's 3-2 you could go back to your stadium and it's i don't know i just think tomorrow um when they play it is going to be such a key game because if they win i think they win the series and i know that sounds a little crazy because any team that's down 3-1 has a big mountain to climb but if any team that can do it it's the Golden State Warriors. So there's this little bit of a, a toss-up here. We ju- I just don't know, but I will say I am liking what I'm seeing from the Lakers, and I think there's a real chance they could represent the West. It just depends on whether or not they have the defensive capabilities to shut down Jokic, assuming the Nuggets do um, transition. <coughs> Excuse me. So moving on to the Heat versus Knicks playoff series. All I have to say with this right now is if Jimmy Butler is healthy, this series is over because he was out for game two and it was evident they lost the game. Its series was tied 1-1. Knicks fans probably had a glimpse of hope. I can't stand Knicks, the Knicks. So I am pulling all for the Miami Heat, which means we would face them. So I don't know. Maybe I don't want to be pulling for the Miami Heat, but that would be really sweet after they did knock us out of the playoffs last year. So with that being said, um, what I have is right now, Jimmy Butler, if he can stay healthy, you know, right now the game is close. It's in the fourth quarter. Seven minutes, 34 left to go as I speak. They're winning by six points. Um, and Jimmy Butler has 22 of the 95 points. So big, big deal. But uh, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle and RJ Barrett are combining for 64 points between the three of them. Um, that's pretty impressive as well. So, you know, maybe the Knicks are better than the series says, but I think if the Butler is healthy, this series is over. I've said it before. I have the Heat winning. Um, I have the. I could see it going to six games, but I don't see it going to Game Seven. Um, and that's just my prediction as of right now. 
For the final topic of this crazy conversation with the NBA playoffs is the 76ers versus Celtics. Wow, just wow. That game last night took years off my life as a 76ers fan. We were up by 17 points at one or 16 points at by one at one point. We the Boston Celtics did an excellent job coming back from 16 points. So we were up by 16 points, but in both the second and the third quarter, when the quarters ended, when we went into half and then when we went into the fourth quarter, we were only up by nine. But still, they rallied from nine points down to actually be leading by five points. And then the Sixers had to come up, which is not good at all. And I'm really, really upset about that. And I know Doc Rivers said, look, we're going to be down. How are you going to respond? And that's exactly, they responded well. That pass by Joel Embiid, I thought, you know, I, I saw an analysis, analysis today that I believe was by CBS Sports writer. Jalen Brown double teaming Joel Embiid has probably got to be Joel Embiid has probably got to be one of his biggest mistakes of his career. And the reason why is I'm not going to be too hard on him because Jalen Brown was phenomenal last night, but he didn't need to do, double team Joel Embiid. They would have gone into double overtime if Joel Embiid would have scored there. But because Joel Embiid was double teamed, he threw it out to a wide open Harden who had yes only a fraction of a second like any type of basketball game, but still he had time time to score three and he did. And they went up by one point and then Marcus Smart. I thought the one big issue here that I will focus on is the Celtics were really, really poor. And I would assume they're going to work on this for the next game, but they were really, really bad on getting up the feet, uh, up the court. They had 16 seconds. To me, that's plenty of time to set up a team. Now they didn't. Now I will say this. I, they had timeouts. I, I don't, I don't agree with their coach here. I, I know he likes to save his timeouts um, typically, but like, you have a timeout, use it, but they didn't. And I really feel like because of that, it cost them the game because they took really, really long to get up to the court, almost as if they didn't want to give the ball back, which I thought was really stupid as well because the Sixers didn't have any timeouts. Um, and then Marcus Smart shoots a three, which wins them the game, but he gets it off way after the whistle rang and then the game's over. So the real question is, can the 76ers steal another game in Boston and make it a do-or-die game for the Celtics in the 76ers stadium. So <clears throat> we have seen, excuse me, we have seen the 76ers' ability without Joel Embiid to win at home, uh, at in the Celtics stadium. I know that game was a little bit weird, but like, yeah, even with Jalen Brown playing good, Harden went off. If we see the same Harden we saw in games one and three, sorry, in games one and four, um, and Joel Bede played so much better last game last night than he has in the in the last three games in the last two games prior to that. So I think if both of those guys play like they did, they both played. Joel Embiid looks like he's getting healthier, which is crazy because he's not had a whole lot of rest on that leg after beginning the series playing in game two. You know, he's had a couple days here, like a day here, a day there to rest, but like he's definitely getting up his fitness level, and you can see, and this could be a danger for the Celtics. So I still have this game going to game seven. I really hope it doesn't. My hope is that they do steal the game tomorrow in Boston and then be able to hopefully seal this game off. And and this is where it gets interesting. If Boston wins, they could come in with nothing to lose versus the 76ers at home and try to win a game, which they were able to in game three in the 76ers stadium. If the Sixers were to take game six, then they go in with the momentum to game seven because they've just won the game. If the Sixers were to get, take game five and then the Celtics were to take game six, then they go back home going, look, 
we've won before at home. We've won in their stadium. Let's put this game away. So it's an interesting thing because because the because the series is tied. That game six is going to be really, 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 really interesting to see. Does one of the teams ride the momentum enough to win that game six, or can they not ride the momentum enough and it goes to game seven? That remains to be seen, but as a perfect segue into my next topic and final topic of the day, NBA MVP update. So for the final topic, my question was, I decided to do a little bit of research because Joel B was announced MVP of the league last week. And there was a report that got brought up by Colin Cowherd where Embiid didn't play that many games, as much games as Jokic, as much games. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to look this up. So I did my own research. Nikola Jokic, center for the Denver Nuggets, who ultimately a lot of people thought was better than Embiid this year. He played 69 games. Embiid played 66. And Giannis played 63. So my opinion with this conversation is games factored should not have Games played should not have factored into the MVP decision because there's a three-game difference, and that is not enough to me to give someone the MVP over the other just based off of games played. On top of that, Joel Embiid, as a center, led the league in scoring for the second consecutive year in a um, for the second consecutive year. That is incredible as a center, and he played a lot of minutes this season. I don't think this was a if, it was a when Embiid's going to win because he's been in the conversation the last couple of years. I thought he was sort of robbed of a, of the MVP last year. I thought he played really well, but he had the whole COVID bout and that probably factored into a lot of people's decisions because he did miss like 12 games, I want to say. He, you know, he he says that he came to the close where he was really considering, am I going to die type of situation. So that was pretty serious, um, but I'm not going to harbor on this too much. My whole opinion is, the Philadelphia 76ers surrounded Embiid with a team that would make him better. However, he still had to come in and facilitate that offense. And I really feel like because Harden is the main facilitator, Joel Embiid has become a facilitator slash scorer, and he's held up his end of the bargain. And, you know, if he continues to get healthy, people better beware because I don't think the Miami Heat or the New York Knicks have a stop for the 76ers. And I think that, if the Sixers are able to pull past the Celtics, there's a real chance they could represent the Eastern Conference in the finals. And that would be a huge win because, of course, every 76ers knows it feels like we always get to the second round and we can never progress to the Eastern Conference finals. But with the way that this league is going, with the way that I really feel like the Miami Heat upset the Bucks, I really think that I'm not saying the Miami Heat are underdogs. They're a very good team. But if they do win this series, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to to um to be able to win especially in a very hostile environment um i think it's going to be very very difficult um and so what i will say is that if you if the 76ers can pull this series off i think they could have a shot, shot to win it all because i really think the boston celtics are the second are the best team in the nba right now when they're playing well and when they're not they're still a really good team um so I'm actually going to throw in one last topic for today to finish off this show. Topic number eight, the NFL schedule release. So I just found out moments before the show that the NFL is officially releasing their schedule on this Thursday, May 11th, um, for the entire season. And I, I thought I'd read off a few interesting tweets from Adam Schefter today. 
So among the NFL schedule this season, the NFL will have its first Black Friday game, which a lot of people are rumoring the Eagles will play the Giants. We'll see. Uh, for the first time ever, they will have a Black Friday game. Games don't necessarily belong to networks anymore, so all games are free agents, which is very interesting. That could be very interesting. I'll be curious to see which networks are able to get some of the top games, and I'll get to that here in a minute. Teams can be on Thursday Night Football twice. I hate this. The NFL and NFLPA are in cahoots with each other because if you are preaching public health and um, if you're preaching, preaching player safety, this goes against everything you have spent the last couple of years trying to convince fans that you care about the players. And Roger Goodell came on this, um, came on an interview and said, actually, I've had some players reach out to me, thank me, because they like that 10-day break after. I am sorry, but I would say 95% of the players, they don't like that 10-day break because prior to the 10-day break, they're playing three games in 11 days. That is ridiculous. From a physicality standpoint, like that's that's a lot of ga- that's a lot even in the NBA, and especially if those three games, two of them are away, you've got to be kidding me. Um, it's a terrible, and I hate that. And as a fan, I think the NFL hopefully will be held accountable at some point. But you know, I don't think so because the NFL Players Association bargaining agreement, collective bargaining agreement, I don't know. It's in for ten years, so unless they can somehow change it, this could be here to stay for the next lo- little period of time or long period of time. The final spot is not all teams are guaranteed to have a primetime spot, which is very interesting. I really think that this is a good move. Because, and the reason why I say this is because if you suck, why should you go on NFL um, television on a, on a big night game and be guaranteed a primetime spot where we're going to see a primetime game that no one wants to see? This is the reason why I don't like two Thursday night football games because I feel like towards the end of the year, players, teams, some teams are just not good, not good and it results in a really crappy Thursday night football game. Um, I wish I could remember which one I'm referencing from last year, but one is coming to my mind. I just can't think of the two teams. I want to see it was like a Steelers and another team, and the Steelers were just not really playing very well. So I don't like that move at all. But the one exciting part about this entire schedule release <coughs> is the fact that it will feature 14 playoff rematches from last season. And that is the most in a season in NFL history, which I thought was very interesting. Among those rematches are... The Super Bowl rematch, Chiefs versus Eagles, which I put on my weekly news sports report on Instagram. Check it out if you haven't done so. The Eagles will be playing the Chiefs at some point in the season, and I really think that could be your Thursday night football game, and I wouldn't be inherently upset about that. I hope we can go in there and beat the Chiefs. Both conference championships are going to be rematched, so the 49ers will be playing the Eagles in the Philadelphia um, because the Chiefs-Eagles game is in Kansas City, and the Bengals will be playing the Chiefs. Um, in Chiefs, uh, sorry, actually, I believe it's Chiefs Eagles. No, I think it's in the Chiefs Eagles is in Eagle Stadium as well. Um, I would have to look at that. But with that being said, um, Bengals play the Chiefs, 49ers play the Eagles, Chiefs play the Eagles, and um, four divisional games: Bengals Bills, Jaguars Chiefs, Cowboys 49ers, and Giants Eagles. It's really really cool, guys. I mean, that's not all fourteen. Um, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um. That's only seven. Um, that's only seven. I could go into more detail. Um, obviously, I'm. I, I don't know if the Bucks are playing the Cowboys, but with that being said, I believe they are actually. Um, with that being said, it's going to be a really, really fun season. Fourteen rematches from the playoffs last year, and I would say every one of those teams is going to be vying for a very high spot in the NFL Eastern and 
um, NFL East and NFL West. I'm still on the topic of NBA, so I'll keep saying Eastern. NFL East and the, and the NFL, not NFL East, the NFC East and AFC West. Uh, sorry, NFC and AFC. My bad, guys. Um, and so, yeah, I, I will say that that's going to be a really, really exciting. Se- it's going to be a really exciting season. And I, if I could put money on any game the NFL schedule makers choose, it would be two games. Bills, I mean, uh, Bengals Chiefs or Eagles Chiefs. I think both of those would be excellent Thursday night football games. I feel like we've seen enough of the Eagles, um, Bengals Chiefs. Um, I feel like it's sort of one of those rivalries that's definitely there, but I feel like I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that being a Thursday night football game. So I would prefer for the Eagles to have the Thursday night football game. Um, And the more I think about it, that would be really great for us because we do end up playing another Thursday night game. At least it's not quite like playing two Thursday night football games. And the reason why I say that is because no players playing in the last preseason game, typically that third preseason game. And so with that being said, yeah, that's just sort of my opinion, but that ends the show for me today. Um, You guys can check again, this show out on YouTube. You can check it out on Spotify and Apple podcast. It'll release YouTube immediately on YouTube immediately and NFL and spot Spotify and Apple podcast. It's going to release at five o'clock Eastern standard time tomorrow. Again, check me out on all of my social medias, Twitter at the long John pod, Instagram, um, YouTube and TikTok at the long John podcast. Again, don't forget to watch my weekly news sports report that releases every Sunday with a clip sort of what I'm going to talk about, talk about on this on the live shows, but also goes into some more details with some did you know facts um, as well occasionally. So definitely not something you want to miss. Um, again, thanks for everyone for tuning in. And until next time, it's your host, Joseph Camperman from the Long John Podcast, signing off and have a great night.